0: This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. It is our privilege to hear God's word, and first we're going to hear it read, and then we'll hear it preached, and we pray for God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his word. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke 17, it will also be up on the screen for us and begin reading in Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them for the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other. So will the son of man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the son of man is revealed on that day. Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field, not turn back. Remember lots wife, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather.
1: Good morning, church good to be with you. It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord with the believers of, the, of, of our Christ and just the opportunity to celebrate him and all he's done. So as we gather around the word, let's just take a moment to, to thank the Lord for all he's done and ask his blessing on what we're about to do. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we are truly thankful for you. We're thankful for salvation that you've provided, Father, through your Son jesus christ we're thankful for jesus works of righteousness we're thankful for all that he's done both actively in fulfilling law and passively going to the cross and bearing our sin and our shame we're thankful that we can be robed in the righteousness of jesus we're thankful for the work of the holy spirit who penetrates our hearts softening those hearts of stone and making them hearts of flesh We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who guides and and teaches, who convicts, who brings joy. We're thankful, Lord, for all that you do in our lives. Lord, we know there are many in our midst that are struggling, that it is a burden to even get out of bed, whether it's because of emotional discouragement, spiritual battle, or even physical ailments. And so, God, we pray that you would minister to each of those needs as you see fit. Lord, we pray for um, Anna Kostrov as she will be heading into surgery tomorrow for open heart surgery. God, we pray that you would be with the doctors and the team. We pray, Lord, for a speedily recovery for her. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we know you are the great physician. Lord, we pray for our gathering here, that the time we spend together will be a time of encouragement and strengthening, that our eyes would be fixed on you. Lord, we know that there are no two people exactly the same in this room, but yet we all are in need of Jesus. So show us Christ. Open our eyes, unblock our ears, soften our hearts. Lord, whatever things we get in the way, may we see Jesus. May we celebrate our Savior. May May we walk more closely with him. May we love him more dearly. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and to celebrate your work, your love, and your care. I pray now, Lord, that you would protect my words, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But I do pray that I would be faithful to your word, to your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, The world we live in brings disappointment. The world we live in brings concern. The world we live in brings frustration. The truth of the matter is each one of us longs for more. We desire more. The truth of the matter is every human being in this world will experience struggle. Every human being will experience the frustrations because we live in a fallen world. And yet, for those of us who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who truly hold to God's word, we have hope. We believe in a kingdom that is promised in Scripture, a kingdom that promises better things, a a kingdom that gives us that hope. It's the belief of that kingdom that actually sets up our text this morning. In fact, it's a question about this kingdom. I draw your attention to verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come. I draw this to your attention because the Pharisees were pretty wealthy in their society. the wealth they, they had power, they had influence, and yet the Pharisees also longed for more. They experienced disappointment and frustration. if you know anything about The Pharisees of the time, they were the power group, they were the leaders of the religion of Judaism, but the problem was they lived in a place that was overrun with Romans. Romans ran their their land. And so I believe when the Pharisees asked this question, when the kingdom of God would come, there's a sense in which we can say it's tongue-in-cheek, they're trying to trick Jesus, but there may be a real sense in which they're asking Jesus a question to see what his take on it is. When does he really believe the kingdom would come? What what would happen? How would it happen? When would it be? These religious people were asking the question, when? In verse 20, it actually gives us Jesus' response to their question. I want you to look at Jesus' response in the second half of verse 20. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. This is important because far too many of us place our hopes and our trust and our confidence in what will be in in an idea of our version of the kingdom and we miss the reality of the kingdom now. It's important that you hear Jesus' words as Jesus is saying there at the end of verse 20 into verse 21. He says in verse 21 Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, watch what he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's here, it's now, it's present. It's a reality. This is important that we understand that he's pointing to the reality, the already of the kingdom. And yet, we see just a few verses later, Jesus says something, what seems to be a little different. Look at verse 24. And then you will say, look there or look here, do not go and follow them, for as the lightning flashes and the lighting up of the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. There seems to be a noticeable, a presence of this kingdom reality. The way we like to talk about it, at least I like to talk about it, is the already and the not yet tension. The already is what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees as he's reminding them that the kingdom is in their midst. The kingdom is present with them. Jesus is correcting their wrong view. See, when you understand the Pharisees, they asked Jesus this question about the kingdom and this because they understood the kingdom to mean something particular for them. What was it? Well, they understood that the kingdom... This flashing of lightning, this idea for them in verse 24 was what they longed for, this, this present reality that lights up the sky, that will take notice and everyone will be paying attention to. So what was it? It was the crushing of the Roman enemies. It was the fact that Gentiles would be punished. It's the fact that the people of God would be exalted. That was the view held by these Pharisees. So when they asked Jesus when, this is what they're looking for. The Romans crushed, the Gentiles uh, perishing, and ultimately God's people exalted. That's what they think of when they think the kingdom of God. And therefore, they ask Jesus, when? And Jesus' answer said, it's in the midst of you. It's in the midst of you. Jesus is correcting their misguided understanding. Jesus is saying the kingdom has already been inaugurated. He says this elsewhere. In the book of Mark, we have Jesus' early teaching. And in Jesus' early teaching, he's already teaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1, verse 15. He's not talking about something yet future. He's talking there again about something present, a present reality of the kingdom. And how could Jesus talk this way? How could he talk about the kingdom being in the midst of them, the kingdom of God being a present reality? Well, that's because he was present. See, the kingdom was tied to the king, amen? And as Jesus is talking about that kingdom, he's talking about his presence, his first coming. And when Jesus came the first time, he came quietly. He was born without any fanfare. He was born and placed in a stable. He, he, was, he was born and he was raised in a, in a hit town that nobody really cared about. He, he was ultimately brought up in an unknown obscure way and then we see him there at the jordan where he's baptized and his ministry begins at the age of 30 and it's after that we see him beginning to preach and do miracles to prove that the kingdom was a reality the miracles prove that jesus was king lord over all ruler over all He was flexing his muscles, so to speak, to say the kingdom is here in me. So when Jesus answers the question of the Pharisees, when he's saying it's here, it's me. I'm the king and I bring the kingdom with me. Friends, I want to pause for a moment and I want to kind of absorb what we're saying because this is important. How often... Do we fall into the trend of the Pharisees? That we get excited about a version of the kingdom that we have, that we miss the king? That we get excited about our understanding, that we miss Jesus? Friends, we must be on guard. We must be on guard that we are not more excited about the promises of the kingdom that we forget the king of the kingdom. Let me say that again. We must be on guard that we are not more excited about the promises of the kingdom that we forget the king of the kingdom. And so, church, I ask you, do you find yourself desiring the benefits of the kingdom more than you desire the king of the kingdom? If so, we need to repent we need to repent because there is no kingdom without King Jesus. And that is the kingdom that Jesus brought in on his first coming. He inaugurated that kingdom. Jesus goes on to explain I want you to see in verse 22 how he changes audiences. He moves his attention from those Pharisees and their wrong view of the kingdom to now he begins to focus on his disciples as he's preparing them for his departure. In verse 22, we see this change of audiences as Jesus is now addressing his disciples. See, with the Pharisees, he focuses on the already. But as we will see with the disciples, he focuses on the not yet. Jesus expresses to his disciples these words. Look at verse 22. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. He's saying bad times are coming, difficult times are coming, hardship is coming, things you haven't experienced before is coming, and you will desire to see the days of the Son of Man. Well, who's the Son of Man? The Son of Man, according to Daniel, is the victorious one. The Son of Man is the understanding to be the promised Messiah. The Son of Man is Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying is you're going to experience difficulty and hardship and you will desire to see my coming. Jesus here is referring to the not yet, already establishing the already. He's saying this to the earshot of his disciples, getting their attention, preparing his disciples for the hardship that was yet to come. This hardship would follow Jesus' rejection, Jesus' crucifixion as they would experience Jesus going from popularity to being enemy number one. We would see what would happen as the disciples would flee, and even Peter himself, who said he would never do it, denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Those hardships continued through persecution and suffering as you read through the book of Acts, through imprisonments, understanding is that they would desire to see the return of the son of man the victorious one they would long for the not yet it was described in scripture as the consummation of the kingdom the second coming of christ i want to draw a point though jesus never says that this longing is wrong in the midst of their suffering in the midst of their pain this longing for that is never wrong But he does warn them, according to verse 23, to be on guard. To be on guard of those who say, look here, look there. Don't follow them, Jesus says. Don't follow their teaching. They're looking to encourage the faithful to turn away to false leaders, to false messiahs. Don't follow them. The second coming, according to verse 24, will be so public it cannot be missed. For again, I read you verse 24, which says, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be on his day. But first, he, the Son of Man, the victorious one, must suffer many things, according to verse 24. He must be rejected by this generation. And Jesus is preparing them to understand what he must endure on their behalf. He's getting them to understand that there will be difficulty and hardship. It goes back to the world we live in. We live in a fallen world. One in which yet Christ is king. One in which Christ is proclaimed as king because Jesus has defeated death. One in which we are to stand firm and loyal to King Jesus. And yet recognizing that we can long for his yet return. For there is an already not yet tension in regards to the coming of Christ. Jesus pointing them to understand that he must suffer many things and be rejected before that glory. Understand that Jesus is clearly pointing to the cross. Jesus is clearly pointing to the plan of redemption. Jesus is saying all things are working out to God's plan. Suffering will come before glory. That is the roadmap for Christ, and that is the roadmap for Christ's disciples. It's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 in regards to Jesus as he tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. In verse chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But notice what Paul does here. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus suffered and he was exalted. It's the roadmap for the Christian life to be humbled and then to be exalted. Church, I ask us do we recognize that difficulty, hardship, suffering will always precede glory? do we understand that if so we need to guard against error we need to guard against false teachers paul tells timothy that a generation will come forward who want to have their ears tickled they want good news they they want happiness they want gentleness but they don't want truth suffering must always be a precursor to glory but it's not just the suffering that Jesus is talking to the disciples about. He goes on in verses 26 through 33 where he talks about the distraction and the kingdom. The distraction in the kingdom. Not only will it be difficult, but there will be a distraction. And in this text, Jesus offers his disciples a few examples of warning. The examples are the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In verse 26, he talks about, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Or how about in 28, where he says, just as in the days of Lot, likewise. What was it about the days of Noah and the days of Lot? We see their activity Verse 27 and 28 tell us the people were eating and drinking. People were marrying and given in marriage. They were buying and they were selling. They were planting and they were building. They're doing all these things, but they're missing the kingdom reality. They're missing the kingdom hope. If I could say it this way, as the quietness of the kingdom's inauguration came in Christ's first, kingdom, or first coming, the people would be in danger of being lulled to sleep and then suddenly at the consummation, his second coming, being caught off guard. I use the word lulled to sleep because that's exactly what happens in the text of Noah and of Lot. The people were busy doing the things they always did. The days of Noah, they were warned of judgment Noah's out building an ark, but they were busy marrying and giving a marriage, drinking and eating, too busy to really be concerned with the message that Noah preached. Or how about in the days of Lot, where God warned them that the, the ultimately fire and sulfur would come from the sky and consume. And yet, what are we told? Look at Jesus' own words in verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? She turned around, and she was turned, we're told, into a pillar of salt. Philip Riken, I think, captures the heart of what occurred. He says, it was not so much where she looked as much as what she loved. Isn't that the problem with us? We love the things of this world far too much. We love them way more than we love King Jesus. We're committed to the things of this world, marrying and getting married, Buying and selling, making a living, planting and building. We're so consumed with those things that we forget really why we're here. For the glory of King Jesus. It's about his kingdom and not ours. Oh, how easy it is to be more concerned with the things of the world, our possessions and positions, than it is to be concerned with the king and his kingdom. But friends, what a costly mistake this is. Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. I draw your attention to verse 33. Jesus says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. This isn't the first time Jesus has taught this. This is the doctrine in which Jesus truly preaches to those who will hear. Back in Luke 9 verse 24, he taught the same principle. What is this principle? Living for Jesus rather than living for ourselves. Loving Jesus more than we love ourselves. Loving Jesus' kingdom more than we love our own kingdom. The question Jesus asks is, will we live for ourselves or will we live for Christ? Friends, the coming of Christ should matter to all of us. His first coming, he has come and declared his reign. Are we submitting to his lordship? In his second coming, he comes as judge. We're told there that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, but for many it will be far too late. Church, I ask you, how have you been distracted by the concerns of the world? How have you been ignoring King Jesus? How have you been ignoring his kingdom? Church, we need to repent and return to our king. Friends, there's not only difficulty in the kingdom, there's not only distraction in the kingdom, there's also division in the kingdom. Jesus next turns to his disciples' attention to the division the kingdom brings. In verses 34 through 37, Jesus reminds them of the importance of the things he's been saying about division. For this isn't a new topic for Jesus. Back in Luke chapter 12, verse 53, Jesus said they will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother-in-law. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The division there isn't about a royal rumble. The decision there, division there, is about spiritual matters. How many of us live in houses or in families where the division is real over our relationship with Christ? We know that text to be true. We feel it. We've experienced it. And Jesus is honoring our feelings by saying, it's true, there is division. Luke said this again. In Luke 14, verse 26, where he quotes Jesus to say, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Division has to happen completely. We must be loyal to Jesus and only Jesus. And yet, in our text, division is given again. And yet, this division isn't just present now but a reference to the future division regarding judgment. I draw your attention to verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. Again, that verse is the crux of Jesus' point. Watch what Jesus does as he builds off of 33, as you move on into 34. I tell you, In the night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Verse 35, there will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Division. But this division that takes place, notice that Jesus gives the idea that it can happen at night or it can happen at day. It can be when a husband and wife are in bed and one is taken and the other left or it can happen in the field while they are working. One is taken, the other is left. That division... That division is a picture of judgment. Many would want to hold that it's probably a reference to life, but it appears from the context of this passage that this division is about judgment. Contextually, it seems more likely that the person who is taken is taken away into judgment while the other person is left. Look at what Jesus says. As the disciples ask a question, it gives us our context. And they said to him, where, Lord? Where is this going to take place? As, as though they want to know, they, they want to be assured that they're not going to be mixed in it. And yet Jesus' answer is very grim. Jesus said, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Friends, don't miss this. This idea of judgment is important. The disciples are hoping to find their escape, where Lord, but Jesus points out very clearly that this is a, an issue of the heart. It's about being spiritually dead, and where there is spiritual dead men, there will be judgment. There will be separation. Jesus is making the point: what we do with Jesus matters. What we do with the king has eternal value. So church, I ask you, do you know where you stand regarding King Jesus? Where do you stand regarding King Jesus? In this text that's before us, we've seen that the kingdom is an already, not yet reality. We've seen that it comes and has been inaugurated by the person and work of Christ. That's why he said, the kingdom is in the midst of you. Yet we also see that the kingdom will be fully consummated at his second coming, as the lightning filling the sky and cannot help but be noticed. But along with that kingdom will come difficulty. And Jesus reminds us to be assured that difficulties will find us, especially as we live for King Jesus. As we live for King Jesus in a hostile world that is not accepting of his already kingdom. But friends, those difficulties will pale when the not yet comes. We need to keep our eyes fixed on King Jesus, on Christ, and we need to avoid the erroneous teachings about his coming, which have led many astray. We need to remember that for this to be true about the king and the kingdom means we need to fight distraction. For just as in the days of Noah and Lot, people ignored the warnings of judgment. They lived for now rather than for the kingdom. They loved the world rather than they loved the king. But friends, when the not yet comes, our love and loyalties will all be exposed. And when he comes, he brings judgment with him. For the kingdom will bring division. Friends, I understand while there is already a separation between those who are alive in Christ and those who are spiritually dead, this separation will be ever more clear when the not yet comes and He brings judgment. As one will be taken and one will be left. The bottom line for each of us, which is extremely important, is what am I doing? How am I responding? how am I living under King Jesus? For Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he reigns, and we need to submit to his kingship. Let's pray. Father, as we close the copy of your word on a somber note, an aha moment for each of us to say, Am I living for Christ and his kingdom? For many of us, maybe it's the first time we've heard the reality that the kingdom is now. It's in the midst of us. It's it's a growing reality as the gospel goes forth and as Christ has already come claiming what is his and proving he is the victorious one over death. And yet, Lord, we know that we ourselves have many wrong affections. At times, if we're honest, we love the things of the world more than we love the things of Christ. And so we repent. God, change our heart. Help us to be ever mindful that when Christ comes a second time, he will bring judgment with him. Help us to be ever mindful that our job as the church is to be a beacon of light, to co and to proclaim the good news of Jesus, calling others to celebrate King Jesus. Help us to be about your work rather than our own. In the face of difficulties, in the face of distractions, may we truly remember that there will be and is already division. And that, Lord, we need to choose on which side we will reside. Strengthen us, encourage us, fix our eyes on our only hope. King Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.